0: Electric bicycles are my jam. I'm turning into a nut for a good e-bike. It's easy to get around, we save gas, not driving our car for short trips to the store, and I'm getting a little extra exercise. The folks at Velatric are sponsoring a series of videos on my channel to show off some affordable e-bikes and help people get up to speed. It's easier than you think, and prices have never been more competitive. You can catch those videos on my YouTube channel, but if you're interested in shopping an e-bike, head over to velatric.bike slash some gadget guy and look at their road bikes and fat tires. Again. V E L O T R I C dot B I K E slash some gadget guy, velatric bike slash some gadget guy. If any of those bikes look good to you, you can save an additional sixty dollars off an already low price by using the coupon code some GADGET sixty, some GADGET six zero at checkout. Once again, velatric dot slash some gadget guy and coupon code some GADGET sixty, and I thank velatric for being a sponsor on this show. I believe this means we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA QA Podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, aka some gadget guy, the SGG of this, it's the worst podcast name ever, but the QA, that's what I'm standing, standing behind. That's what I'm sticking to. The question and answer is we make this an interactive conversation. We kind of sort out our feels on all the week of tech news that's come before. It's why I like to hold my podcast on a Monday. Gets us started for the week ahead. This is the first podcast of February. We're back on track with the news block. We have a couple really interesting stories to follow up on. We just want to see how these stories evolve over time. We're not looking to just read a headline and get on with it. We already have an incredible crew here in the chat. Got to do a little bit of a shout out. I'm going to hit him with the second uh, during the pre-show, the pre-roll. Um, I was asking some questions about maybe trying to do like an audio town hall version of the podcast, but one Mr. Fat Produce, uh, Andrew has subscribed with Prime, so I'm going to give him a second fanfare now properly on the show, uh, courtesy of Mr. Barry Johnson, who hooked me up with the stream deck. Ba-ba! I have no idea where in the fanfare that actually is, but yeah, thank you so much for supporting production, for uh, continuing to support the stream, and joining these conversations. Uh, I I greatly appreciate it. So uh, I, I'm going to try and minimize housekeeping. I, I'm I'm energized. I'm caffeinated. It's raining like crazy here in Southern California. We've been getting flood warnings. Some of our some of my friends have been talking about evacuation orders uh, Californians, we do not do well when water fall from sky. So, uh, if this stream just suddenly cuts off, uh, please know that it was, it wasn't something that you said. It wasn't something that you did. It's that I likely have run out of the electricities. (laughs) Uh, We've been skirting. We've had some power flickers, but not any, uh, legit power outages. So uh I'm seeing in the chat we've got Go Star Scream, Barry Johnson, Fat Produce, Bray Gray, Grounded Tech, Dan, what's up, my, uh, my friend? Uh Jman 150 I saw Gwendolyn in there. Where where I'm way behind on this chat. Yeah, there's Gwendolyn saying, Hey to Barry, you've got McCorcoran, we've got Ted. Uh da, 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 Copacash. Uh, you, uh where am I missing people? Uh, Gadget Guy twenty twenty and Nick fell, um, Nick fell and Gadget Guy also joining us live for the first time in a while. So glad to see you back, uh, back on the stream and back in the chat. We're back, back in the New York groove. It's like we never left. So uh, I'm going to try and keep housekeeping pretty pretty short here. First of all, I hope you had a lovely weekend. Um, Marie and I were in sort of not like emergency mode but in concerned mode like we were packing up some supplies and we were buying ahead for some food we were really making sure that we were meal planning for the next week on meals that could be accomplished without electricity (laughs) maybe we need to make food and we don't have ways to power the ways that we make food um so we were we were kind of focusing in on that. Uh this this whole week we're going to be kind of off and on just like are the batteries charged? How, how what are our phone plans looking like? And if you're in situations like we are right now, I hope you're taking just those little bits of time to plan ahead, to prep ahead just in case anything serious happens. Uh you can take care of yourself and take care of your family. So, um we do have quite a bit of housekeeping uh, I mean, in terms of quantity, because last week was also a pajama podcast, but I'm not going to go back two weeks, I'm not going to do that to y'all, but boy howdy, has there been a bunch of stuff to talk about, uh, especially if you're a fan of really good bang for buck competition, so I'm going to switch over to screen share here re- real quick, this is some where I had a video out talking about the OnePlus 12 and what it's like comparing it against the OnePlus 11, which is really not a fair fight. Then uh, I had to reply, there's been this kind of brewing controversy on social media. Uh, there have been a couple of Reddit posts and a number of comments on my OnePlus videos talking about the main camera sensor on the OnePlus 12 not being a stacked camera sensor like the OnePlus Open has. And that is factually incorrect, so we just needed to spend a little time kind of digging into what these terms mean when we talk about things like stacked camera sensors. And it's not helped by the fact that Sony has recently changed up their names for their camera sensors, and it's been a little confusing, but it always seems to happen with phone launches like OnePluses. There is a one-letter difference in the camera sensor name on the OnePlus 12 versus the OnePlus Open. So obviously that means you need to take your criticisms to the internet and you need to assume that OnePlus is somehow trying to scam you. That's like the end of all of these. Like if Samsung does something, well, yeah, I mean, but it's probably for a good reason. Or if Apple does something, it's, oh, whatever, you know, like it's just the way things are. OnePlus has like a difference like that when we're comparing a, a, like a, $1,500 $1,500 foldable against a $800 slab phone. Oh, but they're not getting the the, the same stuff. It's different. It's, it's different. And uh, OnePlus is trying to make it sound like it's not different. And there's a controversy. But if you really care about your camera tech, I Finally finished up a longer-term review on the Vivo X100 Pro, where to spoil the initial conclusion of this video, I have been using the phone more than I've been reviewing the phone, and that's maybe the highest praise I can give a phone, is that I just want to use it more, and I'm not doing, like, test shots. I've really just put it into my workflow, and you're seeing all of the B-roll on my channel is now coming from phones. Um, and then of course, uh, one of the major topics we're going to be talking about this week is the OnePlus 12 R. This is also in the gadget lab. I've been sitting on this phone as long as I've been using the OnePlus 12. So I feel a little more confident that I can say that this is a review because <laughs> I've had that phone for a really long time and not been able to talk about it. And then if you're on the Patreon, I just want to tease, uh, we're, um, I, I, uh, I'm working with a few of these uh, mini PC manufacturers like uh, Geekom and Ace Magic and Ace PC, and uh, Ace Magic sent over this beauty. It's the AX16 Pro, uh, kind of a, a laptop version of their use an old chip but sell it at a great price. So if you're on the Patreon, patreoncom gadget guy, you can get my first impressions on a really interesting tactic to take when it comes to selling a, a cost-conscious laptop, right? So, like, we've got these mini PCs, and maybe they use a two-generation-old CPU. But they're being sold, fully built, ready to go, and, like, the price to performance is in, is in really good shape. It's a little more difficult to match that feeling in a laptop where when you have a few extra compromises, like it doesn't matter if your mini PC case feels a little plasticky because it's just going to be on your desk, but a laptop is a little different. So I've got some very, very early thoughts, but there will be a full review out on that laptop, hopefully the end of this week, maybe early next week. Whew, that was housekeeping, folks. We're 9.08 in the a.m. I need more emergency conditions around me. Like, we blew through that. This is going to be a good show. I can feel it already. I'm going to take a quick drink of coffee, then look at some of these comments, and then we're going to talk some tech news. Booyah. All right. (laughs) Simon says, Hypno. Hypno. It's almost like people are being disingenuous to stir up faux controversy. I think I nailed it. When LG left the smartphone scene, I put out a video and I said, the next whipping boy brand is going to be OnePlus. Lots of other smaller smartphone brands get unfair criticism but there's something special about L there was something special about LG, and there is something special about OnePlus in that those labels punched way higher than their market uh uh their 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 market adoption. So like I think at their peak, LG was something like 10 to 13% of the United States smartphone market, right? That's a huge chunk of phones. But something about LG Video scored way higher than that 13% market share. OnePlus is very similar. They have a tiny market share, especially here in the United States, but their search traffic scores way higher. So what does that mean? You're in a very unique position as a tech reviewer where you can inconsistently criticize things on a OnePlus that you would never criticize on a Samsung or on, a, on an Apple And you know those videos are going to score high for search because OnePlus just seems to get tech geeks interested in watching those videos. But then if you're unfair to that brand, you're only going to piss off a tiny little sliver of the market demographic and you're going to confirm the bias of the much larger demographics of Samsung and Apple owners. So it's this great uh, circular uh, criticism. Effect. Your videos score high. You can always sort of compare against like the winner phones from Samsung and Apple. And then if OnePlus fans are upset, you're actually gonna get more engagement. You're gonna get more comments and more shares and more posts on social media if your criticisms of OnePlus are kind of unfair. So I feel like there's a consistent trend in how we approach criticisms of OnePlus. I, I'm I'm not saying no, I'm saying the the, the marketing game is kind of rigged. <laughs> cash what? We're done already? McCorkran saying, housekeeping, yo, what's up? I love it. Uh, grounded tech, it was going to be OnePlus or Sony. And Sony is actually finding a little bit more kindness in tech reviewers right now. Um, and I think in part because like those videos actually don't score as well. So you can kind of use a Sony video as a, like, see, I'm fair and unpartial and unbiased. And I gave this Sony a great review, but you should probably buy a iPhone instead. But it's the OnePlus tier of search interest where it's just popular enough that you really do want to hammer it. You really do want to criticize it. And this year, there really is just no competition. We're going to talk about the OnePlus 12R after we get through the news block. And I'm going to try and keep this momentum going. Because there are some really interesting news stories happening. But a lot of these are kind of, let's follow up. um, Not like, huge breaking news, oh my gosh, mind blown emoji face. So um, I don't want to get too bogged down in all of that commentary. Because I'd love to spend some time really talking about the 12R um, I also have the OnePlus buds three, uh, so we can talk about these a little bit. There will be a proper video review out on those soon too, but, um, I also kind of want to chat like some of the, the chat's feelings here about things like the Apple glass hole pro max, uh, effect that we're seeing on social media. Now that people have spent their $4,000 on an Apple mixed reality headset, um, they have to flex and show people that they spent $4,000 on a headset. Um... <laughs> oh, Andrew, fat produce. It rubs me the wrong way that the OnePlus 12 is getting criticism for iterative design when the S24 doesn't get the same treatment for being literally barely an upgrade. And the S20 series has been pretty consistent since the S20. So, you know. If we're really being consistent in our criticisms. <laughs> McCorcoran, Moto is ignored. And, and I really feel like into next year, um, I'm gonna really try and I didn't get to spend much time with Moto in 2023, but this year I do want to spend some more time with whatever Edge Plus premium tier phone they have to put out because like OnePlus. I think Moto is also the other premium tier competitor in the United States that does not get enough attention. And they're putting out phones that are going toe-to-toe with the S24 and S24 Plus in a really interesting way. So I might trade in my Edge Plus 2022, see if I can get any kind of trade-in credit for that because I know it won't resell for much. That was a phone that I... So I... I got the review unit and it was the Verizon model and my cousin really needed a phone. He's on Verizon. And I'm like, okay, this is a cousin who can't handle like going into a Verizon store and like upgrading a phone that's not on Verizon's network technically, but can support LTE and 5G. So I hooked him up with that phone and then I went and bought another Moto Edge Plus 2022 because I got it on sale for like 350 bucks brand new. So I don't think I can sell that on Swappa for much. <laughs> there were so many 2022 Edge Pluses out there at crazy fire sale prices. Um, I think that's one of the few times like I'll get a better deal if I trade it in. So we'll see. I, I, am, I am really anxious to see what Moto is going to do this year here in the United States. Because Lenovo saying, we want to be the number three phone brand in 2027. In so we'll see if they can actually pull that off. Dave Burns, congrats on the new phone. I just got my OnePlus 12 and am setting it up. I think you're going to dig it. Dave was still rocking the OnePlus 9 Pro. And I think you're finally in line for a good upgrade. This is this is going to do you right. I think you're really going to dig this. Oh, and the tech preacher just showed up. What's up, easy? Nice. And Snorkel, I'm happy with my Edge Plus 2023 so far. Good. All right. Let me get just one more quick sip of coffee. We're going to knock out some news. And if you have any news that you want to talk about, you could probably easily sidetrack me in this manic state that I'm in right now. Fair warning. (laughs) Okay. Uh, First up, This one's quick. It's just the follow-up. We were covering the Google versus Epic case, right? So the judge sided with Epic um, against Google in a very different kind of trial and in a very different kind of discovery than when Epic was in a lawsuit against Apple. Many of the things that were concerns in the Google case were also concerns in the Apple case, but Google did a much, much worse job of kind of covering their tracks. Like, In so many uh, disclosures and discovery elements where they were like, hey, we're doing something kind of nefarious. I guess we're evil now. We're Google. Um, That really worked against them in the epic case. I'm grossly oversimplifying (laughs) multiple stories and articles that we went through. But it is not surprising. Uh, This is from Reuters written up by Mike uh, Scarcella. Google asks judge to overturn Epic Games' antitrust case, and from the uh, top of the article, Google, in a court filing on Thursday, asked U.S. District Judge James Donato in San Francisco to grant a new trial or issue judgment in its favor in the antitrust lawsuit. The filing said Epic had not presented adequate evidence to support the jury's December verdict that Google's control over its Play Store was anti-competitive. Google said it competes fiercely with Apple over mobile apps and that Epic should not have been allowed to argue otherwise. That's not competition. It's not competition when Apple says it, and it's not competition when Google says it. If your choice is do business with us or leave, you don't have competition. and google what 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 kills me here is google has a much stronger argument where you can sideload other stores if you want to get your apps from amazon i don't know why you would but you can i have a number of really great open source apps that i manage through fdroid if you forgot about fdroid you know it's this it's kind of a repository mostly focusing on open source software but free and also free you know free is in you don't spend money on it, but also free is in freedom <laughs> and, and constitution. Um, you're missing out. My favorite uh, feed reader, uh, RSS feed reader, is on is on Fdroid. I have some YouTube management apps. Uh, there are a number of really great little utilities, just homebrewed by developers that are just working on these projects. And now, um, my favorite photo gallery um fossify is is also being managed i i I, the very very first install of fossify i got directly from github on the apk and sideloaded it but now um, i believe they have a contacts app and a dialer also um it's like the old simple apps if you remember simple gallery pro uh fossify is a fork of that that is maintaining its free and open sourceness sorry i sidetracked myself Google has a much stronger argument to be made rather than saying, oh, but we compete, we compete against Apple. Walled garden versus walled garden is not competition. If you want competition, you need consumers who have access to other choices. It's like saying Comcast competes against Spectrum, but nowhere in the country can you get both in the same address because they have drawn lines on maps so they don't compete against each other that is anti-competitive. <laughs> so as much as I prefer the Android aspect of this, I really do feel Google needs to face a market correction and more regulatory scrutiny over the executive level of business practices that are being mandated by the C-suite at this organization. This is an ex- an excellent I don't I don't have any fondness for Epic. I don't feel they The good guy in this, they're really the only company that has deep enough pockets to even entertain the idea of a lawsuit against Google. So, I feel this is going to be an interesting one to watch to see if a judge is going to be swayed by these arguments. And if the judge is, I feel we're in for a rough spot when it comes to legal definitions of competition and the regulatory actions that go into policing massive tech companies in the United States when we know the EU is going to be taking a much stricter tact on what they define competition to be. Whew. All right, let me uh, take another drink. I'm, I'm trying to like lubricate and stay hydrated throughout this. So I'm going to be interrupting a little bit more frequently to drink coffee and water. So uh, just one second. Uh, Let's see, some questions about the OnePlus 12. Definitely some fun stuff there. A Golan ordered a Galaxy S24 Ultra more than two weeks ago but it still hasn't arrived. Oh, that's a bummer. Oh, I canceled the order, and I'm waiting for a OnePlus 12. Uh, have a good week. <laughs> well, Golden, that is a much, that's a pretty big jump. Um, S24 Ultra and OnePlus 12, uh, they, they're very different animals. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, if you're really into the Note, I, I think you'll like the OnePlus 12, but there are some productivity features that you'll miss uh, if, if you give up on the Note. Uh, let's see. Dave Burns won. Competition is for communist chumps. Monopoly capitalism for the win, baby. (laughs) I love that you spelled that phonetically. (laughs) That's great. Um, uh, let's see. Nick Gay won. One day I would love for you to explain why Samsung gets treated more harshly by you than Google. They are so egregious. It's not even funny. Their CEO also sucks. I did a 90 minute podcast about that. Um, You can listen to that podcast, and it's professional, and there are business concerns, and consumer concerns, and also personal concerns. And uh, I think that's been pretty much explained. But when it comes to individual teams within these companies, I still point to things that I really like at Samsung, like DeX. But if we're going to point to Samsung as some kind of market leader, nah, they're really not. And I really, I'm very upset by the fact that they've bought their position through intense spending on marketing and also the pain points that they leverage against tech journalists and reviewers rather than good competition in the market. And so when we see these discrepancies between, or uh, inconsistencies in like phone reviews, when I look at the Google Pixel team, I think they're doing some incredible work, but the Google executive team is making some really questionable decisions that the rest of the divisions have to get their marching orders on. I don't feel like Samsung has that same... I, I, I'm not... I'm not likely to grant them that same amiable consideration when I've had more experiences across the entire Samsung organization that have all been toxic. <laughs> like, across the board. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can go and listen to ninety minutes of me explaining why this company really does not deserve to be to have the fandom that it has. Uh, do do do. Sorry, I'm I'm way behind on this chat here. Uh, Simon says hypno. Just let the markets decide. They always operate in the public good. <laughs> Uh, grounded Tech, I bought a Pixel 8 Pro a few weeks back. First proper phone purchase in a while. Hey, that's an interesting one. I'll be, I'll be very curious to hear your thoughts on that Pixel 8 Pro, Dan, especially for how much you've worked on some of the opposite side of this tech conversation with like Sonys and stuff like that. Um, Nick Gay says, I listen to the pod every minute. My only take is Google Bad too. Sure. I mean, that's why we're bringing up issues like Play Store competition right i mean this is what's kind of interesting is you feel like i'm not tagging google hard enough when i am leading my show <laughs> with a regulatory story about how google is the f evil so google bad 2 was the point of i'm not i'm not sure if you maybe missed it maybe you jumped in late but i'm just saying You seem to be defensive of Samsung in a story that had nothing to do with Samsung when I was pointing out Google's transgressions. I'm just saying. (laughs) Moving right along, another one we don't have to spend much time on, but kind of validating why I'm really not interested in doing business with Spotify at all. This My money in streaming music is increasingly less likely to be going to the artists that I listen to. So I keep up with Cobuzz. Cobuzz still seems to have... Again, it never gets reported on as consistently. It's like the smallest uh, audience in music streaming, I think. Um, but it still seems like Cobuzz is putting the most money back into the pockets of whoever owns the music. That's definitely still problematic because record labels can maybe take an unfair cut from the artists who actually made the music, but it's still the best that we've got, right? At some point you need to pay whoever owns the music. And if the artist signed a terrible deal with the record label, that's unfortunate, but that money, I feel my money should be going more directly to the artists that I enjoy and the artists that I listen to. I don't feel that my money to listen to music, which is primarily what I would use these services for, should be going to podcasters. And so when I say I feel like Spotify is working a really unfair deal because I have to believe the majority of the users on Spotify are using Spotify for music. But then we see these headlines like, Controversial podcast host, Joe Rogan reaches new deal with Spotify reportedly worth up to $250 million. Um, so this is, uh, actually I, I caught this first. I I shared my, this link to myself, but it's an Associated Press story. It's an AP story, but, um, it was posted by NBC, NBC Washington. Um, Spotify announced the renewal deal in a post on the company's corporate blog on Friday under a prior multi-million dollar deal. The Joe Rogan experience has been a Spotify exclusive since 2020. Uh, Wall Street Journal first reported the new deal on Friday, estimated that the new contract was worth as much as $250 million over its multi-year term. Cited unnamed people familiar with the matter, the pact involves an upfront minimum guarantee in addition to revenue sharing agreement based on ad sales, the newspaper reported. So that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that I can't understand the economics of how ad sales are working on Spotify, that Joe Rogan can be such a huge deal for a primarily music streaming service that... I mean, I guess the exclusivity and especially that last line they're saying, in addition to a revenue share with any ads that are sold on the podcast, like maybe, maybe he is paying for himself, but considering all of the money that went to podcasters to get exclusive podcasting deals on Spotify, I'd love to see a return where that money was originally subsidized by the subscription fees from people listening to music on Spotify And at some point, there still needs to be some kind of accounting, some kind of public accessible, this is what artists are paid versus this kind of cut. And we have some very generals like, well, you got 30% to Apple and like 70% to labels and all this stuff, but it's such a black box for how they manage their statistics I feel like, at some point, these companies need to make some of this data more public. This is incredible money (laughs) to be throwing at a podcast. And knowing that it's exclusive, I mean, I get it. You want to keep Joe Rogan on your platform. You don't want to have to, like, open that back up. You've already spent so much money getting him to sign an exclusive deal. But is the power of a Joe Rogan still growing in this media market? And if so, like, are his ad sales so lucrative that you can offset the costs of keeping him there? I don't understand the math on it. So, you know, it's pretty great. <laughs> Doctor Claw, smelling an impupification coming soon. <laughs> I have to say uh, like in the in the grand scheme like if we're really following the Cory Doctorow model of impupification, I will say the music streaming services seem so far and knock on wood I really don't want this to change the music streaming services seem to have escaped the worst aspects of the video streaming services whether or not you choose to do business with Spotify I've explained why I choose to do business with Kobuzz. one at a time where no one else was doing real high-res, I was getting 24-bit flack. I'm not, I'm not giving that up. I, I want every song to be delivered in the absolute highest bitrate and quality that the artist has supplied to it. I don't care if it's placebo quality. I want it, and I'm paying for it. Especially with all of my DACs and amps and stuff. Uh, but, but aside from Kobuzz versus Spotify for the consumer, we haven't seen the the same kind of ratchet, right? Like, prices have fluctuated and some services have gotten a little bit more expensive, but it's never fallen into the same trap that all of these other video sharing platforms have. And that's actually, Dr. Claw, you kind of nailed my transition into the next uh, topic here, because when it comes to video sharing... Uh, Video sharing. Uh, Actually, yeah, video sharing and video streaming. Well, Netflix is just really concerned right now. Now, we need to just kind of ignore that Netflix has been making so much noise with shareholders that since they've cracked down on password sharing, we've seen a flurry of new account signups. Well, I mean, just the numbers are looking so good. But now this story, courtesy of Torrent Freak, Netflix piracy is difficult to compete against and growing rapidly. Written up by Ernesto Vandersar. As a member of Ace and the MPA, Netflix is at the front line of the global battle battle against online piracy. The company doesn't often address the subject directly, but in a recent SEC filing, Netflix writes that it's difficult to compete against the free entertainment piracy offers. Not only that, it's growing rapidly too. Piracy is on the rise. What will we do? I know what we'll do. We're going to cancel all of the lower cost plans that don't serve ads. That'll stop piracy. No, you see, what Netflix is wanting to do is make it even more difficult for you to craft a plan that really meets your family's needs. And that way you'll have to overbuy to get stuff that you want. And there's like no balance there. But what they can also do is then maybe try and leverage regulators and the government to, to crack down on that nefarious piracy. I mean, they, they're they talking to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. So they're really serious about getting after piracy, but they're walking away from the business practices that made Netflix better than free. And I hate sound, sounding like a video game nerd, but when you look at Steam, I, 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 I will... Poorly paraphrase Gaben's <laughs> comments on, on piracy, but piracy is a service issue. Netflix was better than free. Netflix had plans that made sense to consumers, they had offerings that were consistently praised. They had content. I mean, they were throwing a lot of, lot of noodles at the wall to see what might stick, but there was a golden age of Netflix content that got people really excited about using the platform and using the service. And as other streamers have started competing with Netflix, we've seen, as, as aforementioned, uh, the impupification of their service. So Marie and I are, I believe, examples of a trend that Netflix is probably really anxious about um up until about man it might, we might be going on a full year now maybe even a little longer than a full year but let's say up until about 2 years ago Marie and I were paying for the top top plan four screens UHD streaming like we were doing it it was a big chunk of change we didn't really need it but like hey, I liked the idea of having 4K content coming to our 4K TVs. Great, we're on board, we're doing it. Then we kicked down to two streams when they started raising prices. So now we're less lucrative uh, customers for Netflix, but we're still not cheap. We're still doing the Netflix, it's 1080p. You know what? I actually don't see much of a difference on that 1080p stream. And then they started cracking down even harder on, you know, What screens like the the screens that you stream on had to be in your home, like making it location based when Netflix for us has been as much a mobile service as a home service makes no sense to put geolocation policy on a Netflix account. And then they raised prices again. So we're now down to the absolute lowest quality plan, single stream, 720p streaming on one screen, but with no ads. And that's the plan Netflix is going to be getting rid of next. We're already pretty confident that sometime this year, Netflix is going to kill the single single screen, ad-free, basic plan. And as soon as they do that, I'm pretty confident Marie and I are just going to pull the plug on Netflix. But I I want Netflix to kind of understand you got so many people signing up and you probably got a bunch of people signing up for the ad-supported tiers of Netflix. You've switched over T-Mobile customers to using the ad-supported version of Netflix. And I don't think you're going to hold as many of the premium tier consumers. We went from the four-screen UHD plan all the way down to the single-screen 720p. And then we're going to turn Netflix into a sometime service as soon as you take that plan away. So maybe we'll pay for a month. If something comes out, we really want to watch it. And then we're going to shut it off again. This is what we're doing with everything now. The only, the only plan that we've kept as a consistent is Disney plus, and they just jacked our rates again on Disney plus. So this next year, we're probably going to look at, can we go month to month or do I just need to buy Disney movies again or (laughs) check them out from the library. Like this is getting silly trying to keep up with all these subscriptions. So it's just kind of interesting going from like the Spotify model, which I think is still kind of toxic for artists. We haven't seen Spotify gouge consumers like that. If Netflix wants us to stay, they need to acknowledge that there are three, three tier Decisions to make for what Netflix offers. Netflix is telling us that there is a monetary value for number of screens, for the resolution that you stream at, and whether or not you can suffer through stupid ads on your streaming platform. But I can't mix and match what we use. What we want is a UHD plan on one screen at a time with no ads and i would pay a premium for that netflix will not offer that cuz it does me no help at all to have a multiple screen plan that is locked to our location <laughs> like that is not that's not how we pay for and share content and what i wanted netflix to do was to offer more of like an umbrella account that had individual screen plans associated with it. So I want one UHD ad free, and then maybe I've got a student in college and I want to pay for a 1080p ad supported plan just to back them up. They really shouldn't be watching lots of Netflix. They should be focusing on their studies, but I can't do that. They need to have their own plan or account. So now I would need to manage the costs and the logins and the pricing on both of those as separate entities. And that's just stupid. At this point, it's just getting stupid. (laughs) If Netflix wants our money and they want our money consistently and they want us to pay them a lot of money, I have no recourse. I have no plan of theirs that we want to pay them for. And I feel a number of consumers are pretty burnt out on all of the different subscription services. And I think the fallout from this is what we're seeing when we're talking, oh, piracy is on the rise. You could fix it tomorrow. You could make piracy not worth investigating tomorrow. But they're not going to do that. Because what they need to do is make line go up for shareholders at the expense. They need short-term gains for their shareholders at the expense of long-term consumer relationships. They've now gone over a year of making way less money on Marie and I, but instead of offering us a plan that we would pay them more for, their only recourse is to cancel the plan that we're currently on. That's not going to encourage me to do business with this company. I'm sorry. Uh, I went a little longer on that one, but it was just such a good transition talking about the impopification because it's pretty impopified. Hey, podcast listeners. I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for Support Some Gadget Guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some One More headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Ah, all right, let me scroll back up just a little bit because we were... Um, doo, doo, doo. Oh, Or people still talking about Google and Samsung? Samsung's evil. They completely decimate the South Korean economy. Uh, let's see. Ground Tech. Netflix had great content and now they don't. I'm trying to think. There has been some stuff that we were really into on Netflix recently and now it's just kind of a fog. Now with so many other platforms and services and like, I just don't really keep track of where something streams from anymore, but I know there was stuff that we were watching on Netflix. And actually, Netflix did just get a whole slew. I mean, this is here in the United States. So, Dan, your experiences might be different. Um, they just got, like, a whole slew of, like, old westerns and World War II flicks and, like, like a bunch of... Uh, Clint Eastwood walks into a town and he whips a guy and then they have a gunfight and macho. Like, it's actually kind of interesting to see some of the ebb and flow of, like, how HBO Max has cratered and they were just slashing content and cutting corners and killing movies and, and ending TV shows. And a lot of that content kind of spread. So some of it went to Hulu and some of it went to Netflix. So the, the idea of Netflix as in, as a back catalog has actually gotten better over the last year, but that's not enough to keep us paying for it. And like I said, I am, I am perfectly happy going back to the paper DVD envelope model Once a week, we'll go to the local library. (laughs) We'll pick up movies and TV shows there. I'll make my own Netflix with Blackjack and Ladies of Ill Repute. (laughs) Um, Go Star Stream. Is is Steam starting to do the DRM crap stuff now, though? Steam is not. Steam DRM is a very basic... uh, consistently minor pain point but what we're seeing are the publishers who do business through steam are applying their own launchers and drm services on top of that so like when you hear about like denuvo denuvi denuvo or denuvio i don't actually know how to say that i've only ever read it um that that's a type of copy protection on gaming that is not being applied by Steam. But if the publisher says, that's what we want on our game, Steam can't say, no, you can't protect your game how you want on our store. They they have to let the developer put that on. But as far as I know, Steam DRM, like just that bare bones basic application of DRM hasn't, hasn't changed. Someone please correct me if I'm off there. Um, I do so much gaming on my Steam Deck now, it seems like it's been pretty straightforward, except for games that are adding their own additional layers of DRM. Oh, Geet, we've been hearing this mantra a lot. If paying for something is not owning it, then piracy is not stealing. Especially, like, if you buy your movies on a store, a digital store. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not it's not great if they lose the license and then your purchase disappears. I I know there are other issues with the DMCA like if you circumvent copy protection on a Blu-ray, technically that's illegal. And I am not advocating for taking a Blu-ray, ripping it and then distributing that rip. I'm actually not a fan of that practice. But I have a huge crate of old DVDs and a pretty decent collection of Blu rays. And I wrap up my work day. Uh, we get Lex from after school care. Uh, my workstation stays running as I pick a random DVD and I put it in this little uh, cup holder that I have on my massive workstation here. And I back that up to my own personal Plex server. And that's been working really well for us. I am kind of making my own Netflix with Blackjack and ladies of ill repute. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm just saying you have options out there. And, and I feel like the sort of monetary, um, the monetary conversation, like it's sad when you see Best Buy walking away from discs, um, especially in a lot of the areas around the country that still don't have great data connections. Um Some of my wife's family lives out in rural New Mexico, and uh, you walk into an FYE and it is it is night and day different than if you walk into some sort of gimmicky uh, like entertainment store here in a nice area. So we live in a pretty affluent suburb, and we have malls still, and malls are still frequented by young people. But you go in and it has that kind of dingy, poorly stocked feeling of just being, like, boomer nostalgia as you walk in. But, like, front face, bunch of anime things, and then, like, racks of, like, poorly organized CDs and DVDs and, like, posters and stuff. Ooh, I can get the Breakfast Club poster. It's so neat. But then you go to an area where they don't have great consistent data, and that store experience is completely different. Those stores are stocked. That staff is helpful, is present. Like they're excited to see customers walking in and buying discs. So it is a little sad that like uh, Best Buy has decided to walk away from that market because I kind of feel like the 4K Blu ray is the, is gonna, might be the last true physical standard that we see for movies. It might be the vinyl of movies and you can get. So I'm going through right now the, the, the discs that we're backing up right now. Um, a while ago, come on, a while ago, we got the Harry Potter collection as Lex was just starting to read the first book. And so I've been going through and backing up these 4k Blu-rays the Blu-ray looks better. It's not revolutionary difference, but when we would watch the stream, what was it? It was on, I think it was on HBO Max. Um, That was the streaming service that had the Harry Potter films. I don't know if it still does. They looked good, but like you put in the Blu-ray and it... It's really difficult for me to explain because I'm not like an AV TV reviewer guy, but the fidelity of the image down to things like the um, film grain, you look at it and you're like, oh, well, it's kind of noisy and grainy. And you're like, yeah, because that's what film does. You got all of these really crunchy, great low light shots. It's a dark fantasy for kids, right? Walking around this haunted mansion castle thing and going out into the forest to find spirits and unicorns. And the night shots should look kind of messy and grainy. But because they're not smeared with this compression, layer that you have to compress the video signal as you send it out over a stream, there's so much more clarity. The fine details on the screen that you're watching this on, it just looks better. And as soon as you kind of tune your eye for, you know, it's like when you tune your ear for for higher res and higher fidelity, right? You've been listening to just an open ear sport earbuds and everything sounds kind of great. And then you really start listening on nice cans You hear, like, depth and space and clarity and detail and all this stuff. And I think the same thing kind of happens when you switch from streaming a movie to watching it on a disc. It looks better. It's less compressed. And there is visual information that we've been missing in this streaming uh, conversion. As more and more people have been getting nicer TVs it does kind of make sense to look at a home theater setup as a solution that you would want to feed it a better data signal. Just like with audiophile gear, I wanted to feed my amps and DACs a better audio signal, so I did business with Kobuz. Well, with video, I'm back to collecting discs. (laughs) And especially even for older, grimier movies, like... um, uh, what did I just pick up? Uh, um, ballet dancers in Br- Black Swan. <laughs> I stuck the landing. Um, so I picked up Black Swan. Black Swan. It was largely shot 16 millimeter. It is such a dirty film grain, but it contributes to the unease of the feeling of the movie. And you kind of lose some of that when you stream it. And I, that kind of makes me sad. I, I, I'm not going to be one of these guys who are like, "Oh, these kids and they watch movies on their phones." Yeah, I do too. Um, but there is something to be said for fidelity <laughs> in the image that you're that you're uh, trying to consume. Yeah, Dr. Claw, the revolution of streaming, which was making piracy less attractive, is flushed down the bowl with these kinds of moves. Snorkel. <laughs> Not flicks. Am I right? High five. <laughs> I love it. Malik, can you say Redbox? I don't know where the nearest Redbox is. When we were, um, when we were living across town the CVS had two red box kiosks out in front of it. So we could usually pick up something specific there. I don't know, man. Like I look at Netflix's plan and I know they're going to cut the legs out from under us. And I shouldn't be sad about their mail-in service having ended. We should have progressed beyond getting an envelope with a DVD in the mail. (laughs) Netflix got us there. And now I'm kind of like, well, I'd rather pay for that. I'd rather plan ahead, have a, a, a hierarchy, like a, um, a list of movies and TV shows that we want to watch, and then it would be, like, exciting getting something in the mail again. And I shouldn't want that. But I kind of want that. Um, from Ken X, any recommendations for a DVD-R? I've heard a lot of the newer Hardware Now blocks recording. I on the stream publicly can't point you in the direction of those conversations directly um I can say i am using what is this a three year old l g uh ultra h d blu ray burner but i can't can't really contribute much more than that. I have never burned a disc. A Blu-ray. I've never burned. I haven't burned a DVD in like maybe ten years. Um, but yeah, I did overbuy for this Ultra HD Blu-ray drive, and um, it's pretty nice. I, I, I really, I really do kind of dig it. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm way behind on this chat. You guys, you guys are are really talking this up. Uh, doo, doo, doo. Oh, Nick Gay, Uh Juan, just like your NOS video, can you show us how you built your Plex server? So a part of that conversation did happen. Um, What I'm doing now is I have a box full of hard drives in a QNAP enclosure. Um, but my QNAP is older and it didn't have hardware transcoding. So what I did is I took one of those little Geekom mini PCs and I have a video on my channel. We did talk about this. So now... That's a Windows machine where I've mapped the the network drive as a drive letter on the Windows machine. And then I just tell the Plex server, go look for content over on this drive letter. Even though it's not technically in the box, it still thinks it's connected. And then Plex uh, runs off of the mini PC. So my NAS is now totally free for just moving data. That's all it does. So it sends all of my video projects to my workstation and then it sends all of my video content to the mini PC and the mini PC is responsible for sending that out to the Plex apps on our TVs and phones. So I I should probably flowchart that just to show people like this is actually pretty easy Um, and you don't have to overbuy a NAS just to get one better capability like hardware transcoding if you want you can set up like a little mini home server and those are stupid cheap now. The mini PCs that you need to run something like that are very inexpensive. But on top of that, when things change, let's say I do want some kind of crazy power capability in a home server, I don't have to rebuy a NAS. I yank out the mini PC, reinstall Plex server on a new mini PC and let that take over. So the box of hard drive stays exactly the same. Um, it, it's, it's a little complicated in routing at all. And you really do want to have a good router, like especially running ethernet cables so that you get consistent throughput. But the, uh, once you set it up and once you run it, it's just really nice. <laughs> like, I don't want to go back to looking for things on streaming services. <laughs> Oh, DTNL. Since, since most of my media consumption is passive, it's background noise. I don't notice much difference, but the math checks out. I'll check it out. And again, it's it's more if you're just streaming to have stuff on in the background. This is the same thing. It's just like with music. I Most of the time I'm listening to music, it is background noise for another activity. But when I want to listen to music as the primary activity, I want the fidelity. Most of the time I have a movie going, it's just like you're saying, it's or like a TV show. Like I I rewatched Parks and Rec recently. It's just background noise. I mean, I wasn't focusing on it. I don't care if it's the highest fidelity for a television sitcom. But when I sit down and I want to watch The Wrestler, I want to see that film grain. The Wrestler is dirty and grimy. Also shot, I think 16 millimeter, super 16. Um, And you blow that up on a nice 4K TV, I want that griminess in the frame. I, I, the movie looks wrong if it's clean. <laughs> um, here, let me let me hide this right now. Oh, and some people are talking about uh, old westerns. So, if you have not seen, um, uh, the Big Country starring Gregory Peck, one, it's a brilliant uh, conversation about toxic masculinity before we had phrases like toxic masculinity. Gregory Peck just comes in and schools everyone in this tiny Western town about what it means to be a man. And that is not a manly pursuit. And we should not be, uh, puffing our chests out and, and appealing to our lower base selves. It's incredible. Like, Decades before we confronted this in like media and pop culture, Gregory Peck's out there, like, but you should be a man <laughs> with honor and dignity. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, like, we've never evolved out of this conversation. People try and act like woke is some new thing. You haven't been watching Gregory Peck movies from the 50s, <laughs> but the movie is shot on a very unique, ultra wide um, film style. And it is some of the most gorgeous cinematography you'll ever see. And if you watch it on a compressed stream, it is not as good. It's just not as good. It's Charlton Heston, Burl Ives, Gregory Peck, Chuck Connors, classic Western. So good. Ah, oh, it's just incredible, and it's quiet, and it takes its time, and the story unfolds, and there's like a Hatfield and McCoy kind of showdown. But the cinematography is super deep depth of field, and you'll have these brilliantly coordinated sequences where it's like Charlton Heston is in a close-up, like head and shoulders shot, riding a horse, and far off in the distance, you'll see other of his team like riding up to join him. But the depth of field is so long with all of this mountain scenery behind them and you can see everything so clearly. You just really don't appreciate how good film is. If you've been watching old dirty prints, non-restored prints, and then you see like denoised versions of these movies, they don't look as good. They really don't. So if you ever catch um, uh, The Big Country it's so hard to find a disc of it and i don't know that it ever got a 4k remaster i think you're only looking at 1080p i guarantee you my 1080p disc of the big country looks better than the streams that i've seen of of that um of that movie um so good <laughs> it's really good okay anyway uh i i got real sidetracked on those stories uh we do have a couple other quick um Uh, news articles just to talk out we don't have to spend a lot of time on 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 these but as business trends kind of evolve and we were just talking about how samsung's the worst and google is objectively good in everything that they do um you see that was sarcasm i don't mean that (laughs) we started the show off again discussing google uh there's an appeal to the majority I just got a comment um, right before the show went live from someone uh, chastising me in my OnePlus 12 review saying, how can the OnePlus 12 be competition for Samsung when they are such a tiny percentage of the market and Samsung sells more phones? And that is a debate fallacy. That is a a, a logical fallacy. We would call it something like appealing to the majority. More people buy this thing, so it must be better right? We, when you confront that idea, you know that that's kind of not true. Just because lots of people buy this one thing, it doesn't mean that it's a better product. It's just a number of these other factors. But we like to conflate the companies with the biggest marketing budgets must care more about their products. So they sell more. So consumers must like it when the company does things like remove useful features, It's not, oh, well, they're more familiar or the branding or the interaction they had with the carrier store. It's the consumer must agree with this business uh, practice because so many more people buy these products. So one of those tricky things though, is when you look at the entire organization as a whole, these business strategies don't always line up with better profitability and health for the company. Case in point, Sony's operating profits surpass Samsung's electronics for the first time in 24 years. Uh, Written up by Business Korea by Kim Yoon Jin. I have mispronounced your name and I apologize. Um, According to the 2023 performance forecasts announced by Sony Group and Samsung Electronics on January 30th, it has been estimated that Sony's operating profit for the previous year was roughly $7.95 billion dollars surpassing Samsung's electronics roughly $5.62 billion uh, by more than 3 trillion won. Uh, This marks the first time in 24 years since 1999 that Samsung Electronics operating profit has lagged behind Sony. That is a very complicated um, that is a very complicated examination of business practices. But I think it's telling that Sony's moves to streamline some of their company's offerings, focus on a couple of core demographics where they crush, like uh, game consoles and cameras, and also really focusing on regional demographics. Like the Xperia is not a global phone. And people will say, well, but so few people buy Xperia. Sony still sells phones? But they make batches of phones, and those phones sell out like crazy, crazy in Japan, and in China. So those phones, they're not moving a lot of them, but they're keeping a pretty high profitability on every phone that they sell. Samsung recently has had a lot of struggles in the semiconductor industry, and they're burning billions of dollars a year to try and catch up on their silicon. Well, Sony also operates a semiconductor industry unto themselves, and they're mass-producing camera sensors that are crushing across the board. So when we look at like, Hey, playing to your strengths versus trying to do a little of everything, but poorly, and we would use a phrase like uh, Jack of all trades, right? Uh, a master of none. Is that what Samsung has become? Is that the, the South Korean style? I forget. There was like another company where people would say that about that company a lot. I don't know. It's kind of escaped my brain right now. Um, uh, <laughs> but Sony has been taking this harder targeted focus on really trying to accomplish a few things really well. Samsung's overhead is getting higher and higher and higher, and they're not performing. It is great that we see this sudden surge in Galaxy S series sales right at the phone launch, but we don't see that sales sustain. And we know that one of the primary reasons that there is such a sharp spike right during the pre-order is because, of the pre-order and trade-in deals. But those are all, all have to be subsidized. Samsung, even when their trade-in deals aren't great, they're still giving you more money back from the phone. So that eats into the profitability of every Galaxy S that they sell. They're hoping that you'll stick with Galaxy. They're desperate that you don't leave for iPhone. But that doesn't mean they're making more money on every phone that they sell. So this is absolutely a trend to watch over this next year because Samsung is going to be investing more money in AI. They have to pour money into their uh, silicon industry to kind of catch up on their chip fab. And this is coming at a really precious time where we're seeing China start to execute really well on years older designs. But if China floods the market with a bunch of cheap chips at like 28 nanometers and Samsung is spending tens and tens of billion dollars a year to try and catch up to TSMC's current three and two nanometer nodes, a lot of the companies that would have turned to Samsung for older chips are going to go to China because Samsung can't afford to undercut their own sales and profitability, but China will do that for them. (laughs) China will undercut them and sell at a, at a, at a loss. They'll subsidize their silicon industry until they can put a squeeze on TSMC and on Samsung. So this is absolutely a critical part of the behind the scenes of the, of the tech industry to keep an eye on. Sony has just done something really special. And in part, this is largely due to Samsung's failings in the market, but other companies are capitalizing on Samsung's deficiencies. Where is Samsung weakest? Let's go fight them there. And we're seeing that in consumer facing products like phones And now we're seeing that in other industries like camera sensors. Everyone wants Sony's newest stuff. And even when Samsung has an opportunity to sneak in, other companies are starting to eat their lunch. Samsung makes some great ISO cell sensors at around a half-inch type sensor. All of the newest phones are not using Sony's half-inch sensor or Samsung's half-inch sensor, they're using an Omnivision. Listen to all the praise that people are are giving to uh, phones like the Vivo X100 Pro. Ben just posted something on threads like, hey, I took a photo of my Galaxy S24 Ultra using the Vivo X100 Pro telephoto sensor because it's the best telephoto sensor. It's not a Sony, and it's definitely not a Samsung, it's an Omnivision. The new better telephoto on the OnePlus 12. Omnivision. We got a first look on that. The, the telephoto on the OnePlus Open. This Omnivision came out of nowhere. <laughs> it's just blowing my mind. So, IsoCell should have been the alternative to Sony in that half inch sensor fight. They're not even landing that. OmniVision looked at where Samsung was weakest and put out a product at a lower price that now other phone manufacturers are picking up and saying, Hey, this looks, this, this works really well for what we need our phones to do. If we can't afford to go and spend higher on the Sony version of this idea, we can really do something special here with an OmniVision camera sensor. And that just blows my mind. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Short story, incredibly long. (laughs) Congrats, Sony. It's a really fun turn to see that kind of profitability. But the competition in this market is just going to continue scaling up as manufacturers also look for ways to put higher performing but less expensive components into their consumer products. Like OnePlus is probably working out a pretty good deal on this telephoto camera sensor. And it's a really good sensor to put in a phone. I'm, I'm gobsmacked at how well this thing is performing. Oh, we just got to take a quick pause for Ricardo, uh, gifting a tier one sub, uh, to Mountain Dew Lu. Thank you. So, they gifted a total of thirty on this uh, on this channel so far. Thank you so much, Ricardo. That is very generous of you, and I I, I very much appreciate all the support. So this fanfare is for you. While JMan150 has redeemed stretch and posture check, and I'm going to do that while I also take a proper drink of water. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the support. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people producers and writers who deserve more attention so here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet and i hope you check out what they have to offer hey everyone this is zach of zach talks tech if you're looking to make sense of the tech that you love if you're looking for an unfiltered opinion someone who's just straight to the gun gets right to it no nonsense Come on over to Zach Talks Tech. I stream three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9.15 p.m. Eastern. And then I cut up clips of that show and I throw them out there for you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But if you want to be part of the live show, check it out Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at 9.15 p.m. Eastern. Check it out, Zach Talks Tech on YouTube. That's Z-A-K-T-A-L-K-S-T-E-C-H. Or as they call it up here in Canada, it could also be Zed. (laughs) Z-A-K-T-A-L-K-S-T-E-C-H. Check him out on all the socials. We'll see you there. All right. Yeah, that was very very generous of you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, We were talking about semiconductor stuff. Um, I don't have high hopes for Exynos. This is another story that just needs to play out over the next couple years. Uh, Written up by Android Headlines, DeBossish. The Bassish Mandal. Uh, Samsung enters long term partnership with Qualcomm for Snapdragon chips. Uh, during the earnings call for Q1 2024, Qualcomm confirmed the matter, saying, we're also announcing that we extended a multi-year agreement with Samsung relating to Snapdragon platforms for flagship Galaxy smartphone launches starting in 2024. The extended agreement demonstrates the value of Snapdragon 8, our technology leadership, and our successful long-term strategic partnership with Samsung. And at the same time, MediaTek, I, I, didn't, I didn't find a good link for this, but there, uh, there are rumors pointing to MediaTek offering Samsung preferred pricing on their chips. And if Samsung's paying attention right now, it seems pretty clear that if given the the opportunity, if given the choice, no one wants an Exynos. Google doesn't want an Exynos. (laughs) Google is is running one more year with Samsung and then they are shopping, shopping the silicon scene pretty hard. And it's likely they'll probably end up at TSMC also. Um, I can't think of... Any example that better showcases how little confidence there is in Samsung's current bleeding-edge tech for silicon than to say Samsung's phone division is looking to just keep spending more on, their, on Qualcomm chips than if they could source their own Exynos chips in-house. And that's pretty brutal. What we need is a competitive market. We've got Intel, AMD is using different chip fab. Uh, we're going to see sort of a scale uh, in China as they're restructuring and they're trying to look at ways that they can circumvent. There was a company that just came out and said that they had a new process for like getting down into the Angstrom's size. You know, like when you get to like 1.8 nanometers, you start using different scales of measurement um, for how small these... Uh, these uh, uh, gates and, uh, transistors are getting. So you can't keep pouring tens of billions of dollars into your fabrication technologies. If you're always playing catch up and if TSMC doesn't have a good rival and Samsung at times has been a better competitive offering than TSM. Uh, it, sorry, I want to rephrase that. I kind of feel like TSMC has always kind of rocked Samsung But there have been times where the difference between Samsung's chip fab and TSMC has been closer. Right now, it seems a bit more distant. (laughs) There's a lot less confidence in what Samsung can produce. So to hear that the S24, the the S Ultra series at least, especially in South Korea, where it matters the most that Samsung phones perform well on their own home turf, are likely going to be Qualcomm derivatives, is just not a good look it just not a lot of confidence in that and it's going to take a while and maybe even a rebrand we joked about that but a couple months back there was a story like the exynos line might end <laughs> so we'll see um from nation this is this is what's kind of tricky um tensor isn't bad it's just not great samsung crappy modems are a bigger issue in my opinion with pixel phones and uh i i would agree it it's It's interesting to me that I am playing with a Vivo and the Vivo has a MediaTek and the MediaTek modem is getting surprisingly good 5G reception here in the United States. That did not happen with many of the media, with any of the MediaTek phones that I played with last year. But whatever MediaTek did to kind of expand on the global capabilities of their modem, not just the regional, Because from what I've understood, MediaTek's regional modems have been great. But once you start looking at like, hey, I got this phone in this region and it doesn't really perform well in this other region, um, that seems to have been the biggest change, the biggest hook. Um, Yeah, Samsung's modems are adequate. (laughs) But when you look at like, I'm opening up my Pixel Fold and it's a sandwiched Tensor 2 with a Samsung modem and that phone runs pretty toasty. I love the form factor. I use it for a lot of media It lives in the kitchen while I'm cooking. It's such a great little mini tablet, but it's real hot pocket when you're walking around Southern California in the Hills in the suburbs, and you don't have great five G connection. And that modem is just working to try and keep a good consistent signal. So yeah, there's a lot that needs to kind of be catched up on. Um, I'm not as doom and gloom on Tensor 2 as I was on Eight Gen 1. Suffers a lot of the same issues, but there are a couple little things in Google's tweaked design on Tensor 2 where I can still kind of point to an advantage. In fact, Tensor 2 can often outperform Tensor 3 in a number of image manip- manipulation tasks like video editing. The more you make a Tensor like an Exynos, the less good it is. The more Tensor was its own unique core configuration and chip design, the better it was. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, see, Al, this is diff- a, a different issue that you'll have. So Al says, maybe because I'm in Europe, but my 5G connection uh, and connection in general is great. I'm really not sure what to look for, but I have unlimited data and it just flies. Question mark. So, one, you have actual regulatory bodies that prevent things like carriers making their own proprietary bands and network settings, so it's harder for you to take one phone on one carrier and switch to do business with another carrier where 5G support on a T-Mobile phone does not guarantee you 5G support on an AT&T phone. So we really have three non-compliant networks that resemble competition, but they're really designed to be consumer lock-in. It's really designed as a pain point to prevent you from leaving one carrier and going to to the next. So we have huge gaps. And also the United States is a really large landmass with lots of dead, open, empty space. But in every city, you need to have replicated 5G solutions for all of the carrier's customers to get on. So we've kind of built a 5G network in triplicate when we didn't need to, if we'd had stronger regulation on network services at the creation of the cell phone industry. So it's pretty gross. Europe is doing this way better. It's also why in many areas of the world that seem underdeveloped next to the United States, they have much better data capabilities for home internet too. (laughs) Like Eastern Europe having fiber in areas where we would never get it here in the United States. Um, And then lastly, uh, just to kind of wrap up this little news block and transition us into talking about other gadgets and things. Um, this is, this isn't breaking news. Like I said, it's not hot news, but I did appreciate just this one little follow-up. Uh, TechRadar has a story just kind of lamenting the end of Fossil. So Fossil is no longer going to make Wear OS smartwatches. I don't think anyone can blame them. Google had picked Samsung as a preferred partner, gave them exclusive access to features. And the two companies that had kept Wear OS just on life support, uh, Fossil and Mobvoi, were refused the same support and they don't get the same access to features like Google Assistant. If you wanted to destroy Wear OS as a platform, that was the best move to do. Google picking Samsung now, also I think Xiaomi is in the preferred support list and we'll have to see. A lot of people got notifications about a OnePlus smartwatch. I don't have anything to say or show about a OnePlus smartwatch um but picking the watch manufacturers and excluding them Mobvoi and Fossil excluding them from that kind of support and that kind of feature access is a great way to make Wear OS a fragmented experience people had fossil watches and they were pissed off why I got an update and now my watch runs for crap and I had to install a different app and now I don't even have Google assistant jeez fossil why'd you screw up my watch Well, it wasn't Fossil's fault. (laughs) Google threw Fossil under the bus. And it's really soured my experience with Wear OS. And as soon as I can get any other watch that will give me speech-to-text transcription so I can reply to messages on my wrist, I'm going to leave. If anyone has a suggestion... I don't care about a notification showing up on my watch if I then have to pick up my phone. While I'm using my watch, I want to reply directly on the watch. And I'm not talking canned responses or finger swiping to write. I want to talk at my wrist and have a message show up on someone else's phone. If someone has a solution for that, I'm gone. Please drop some comments. (laughs) Like the Pixel watch is fine. It's fine. I still love my, my tick watch. This is what I, I wear uh, most days. And if this shows up on, like, an Fit, I'm going to go to the Fit. Give me an RTOS with better battery life any day of the week. And I'm there. But the one thing that I did want to add from this tech radar story that I felt was important was they did commit to um, the most recent uh, generations of fossil watches will still continue to get some kind of software support, quote, for the next few years. So... I don't know how much they'll actually throw at these watches, but Fossil is saying they will make a commitment that as they exit the Wear OS scene, that it's not that they're just going to completely pull the plug. Hopefully, the watches that are out there, a very small percentage of smartwatches, but the watches that are out there will still get some kind of feature improvement, bug fixes, patches, and security updates, and hopefully run that commitment through the next year or two. So if you have a Fossil watch, a a recent Fossil watch, Um, hopefully you still see some kind of support, some kind of attention. The the move that I really hope to to see Fossil take is to continue their hybrid line because the current Fossil hybrid is actually a really nice watch. I haven't spent a lot of time with it. There was a Fossil store in the mall and I got to play with one. Um, But the new hybrid is uh, like an e-paper pebble-like screen. So it gets great battery life, and it has a lot of these like daily step tracking kinds of features. I love that it's a different screen technology than my phone. Um, It's actually a really nice option. So I hope we see Fossil continue with that. It's not a smart watch, but it's a really good fitness lifestyle companion device. And I think that would be a a really, really good play for them, because they are a watch company, and you don't want to completely leave the idea of a wearable, um, behind just because Google soured your relationship, but that would be, that would be a good play for them. I would really like to see that. Um, but I should maybe try and pick up, uh, a fossil hybrid and actually spend some time with it. I'm just really reluctant to spend a lot of money on accessories that I know won't be daily driver for me because of like one little omission, the pebble had incredible speech-to-text. The Qualcomm Talk from, like, was it 10 years ago? Was the Qualcomm Talk 10 years ago? Qualcomm made their own specialty smartwatch with a a special screen technology that got, like, seven days of battery life. And even that watch had speech-to-text transcription to reply to text messages. Um, But, like, the Pebble did it really well. The Qualcomm Talk did it really well. The Focals by North are still the best solution I've ever played with for getting a, a piece, a notification. I'd click the ring, say the reply, send it, and it was so immediate. And it was just like all at eye level. And I and I was done. That interaction was finished. I miss that so much. I'm trying to think. Oh, and old LG headphones. Old LG tone neck band headphones. You would click a little button. You would get a notification alert. You'd click a button on the headphones. The, the notification would be read to you. And then you'd hear this little doot, doot, doot. Like there's this little time window. And if you wanted to reply within the, that time window, you would click the button one more time, say your reply. The voice would read it back to you and it would send it off as an email or a text message. Or uh, I think it could work with WhatsApp, but I might have that wrong. It might've only been text now that I think about it. I still have it somewhere in a drawer. I might need to pull it out and see if the app works at all. <laughs> but we had that. We've had it on so many other platforms. As soon as a does this, or maybe Mobvoy with because the, they have an alternative operating system option over at Mobvoy, I need it so bad. I hate having to pull my phone out for like quick replies and messages and notifications. And that's the thing I turn to my watch very frequently is just, don't make me pull my phone out of my pocket. Oh, I need to pull my phone out of my pocket. <laughs> oh, Jonathan Blade has one. I have a hybrid. I love it. I bought it for the e-ink display. Build quality issues. Well, that's, that's kind of a bummer if you've, if you've found some build issues, though. Um, yeah. Oh, and JFR. Oh, my, I miss my Pebble watches. Pebble was the best. I loved it. The Pebble was very different than what was on your phone. And it was quick, it was responsive, it was very feature packed. You had fun little applets that you could install, and it had great text to uh, speech to text transcription. And Geet, I really want a Withings. Again, it's like I've got a microphone and I've got a speaker. Give me some kind of companion app that can tap into the transcription on my phone, or the speech-to-text, or something. Let me reply to the message directly from the gadget that gave me the notification that I had a message. I'm so bummed about that. Yeah, Michael Corcoran. I still use my LG Tone Flex. Dedicated assistant button still works. Assistant functionality outlasted a $300 Wear OS watch. So Google... I don't know if anyone was paying attention to this, but I said some mean things about Google just recently. Um, Google killed the assistant support on older Wear OS watches. So if your Wear OS watch was using OS 2, you lost Google Assistant. You lost a lot of features along the way, and then they just kind of cut the cord and said no more Google Assistant support. I'm going to have to see. I'm pretty sure I still have my LG Tone Flex. So I'm going to... I'm going to I'm gonna see if I can dig it out of a drawer. First, I hope it still takes a charge. I know I haven't used... A, what was the last one I charged? Tra- I charged up the Tone Studio, the neckband with the speakers. Um, I loved that sort of horse collar. I don't know what that's called. You know, you've got like a, a workhorse and you've got that big thing that goes around their collar. I really loved the Tone Studios. They were great and they still work great. They still take a charge. They still connect to everything. They're awesome. But I know I've got... One of the variants of the Tone Flex that had the Google Assistant support. And if those old headphones can still talk to Google Assistant, but Google killed Assistant support for Wear OS watches from Fossil and Mobvoi, I'm going to be even angrier about this fracturing of the Wear OS landscape. It's so gross. Why? And you do it because you're courting Samsung. You don't want Samsung to compete with you with the older gear watches running Tizen. Sure, I get it. But it hasn't done Samsung any favors. Their their, um, accessory sales, I think, are kind of flat um, year over year. And I don't know that they've really been moving more watches. Um, But Google is slowly killing Wear OS and Fitbit at the same time. It's incredible how badly they're doing this when the Pixel line is actually demonstrating incredible talent. Like from the Pixel 6 on, every Pixel phone has gotten better and the Pixel buds are really solid. And the Pixel watch is a little bit nicer now that they've gone to a Qualcomm chip instead of a Samsung chip, but they had to dig so deep to get Samsung and it's really not lifting the experience for consumers and people that had been using Wear OS watches, it's probably been soured. If you had a Fossil, you you kind of got burnt by Google. <laughs> All right, so um, we uh, went longer on the news block. <laughs> I got sidetracked a lot. Um, yeah, so uh we we have the uh the OnePlus 12R. We have this in house. Uh I don't know how much I really want to comment on um what was uh the the sort of Apple mixed reality effect. I uh I've read through a number of reviews. I really haven't watched a lot of videos. Um but I'm getting a little tired of The reaction to reviews being like, oh, well, I thought they brought up some fair criticisms. Or you'll see in a review, like a really lazy line, like, well, obviously this is better than a quest. And I, I really wish those types of comments were qualified better because better how? I think we would all agree that the pass through cameras and the visual fidelity on a $3,500 rounded up $4,000 mixed reality headset should have higher fidelity images. But when a Quest is one-seventh, one-sixth the cost of um, an Apple mixed reality headset, I don't think that's significant praise. And so I feel like this is, we're watching a game play out we're watching a strategy from these tech reviewers and tech journalists that have cozy access to Apple in how milk toast these reactions and responses have been these are people that are trying to find the line where they won't upset Apple PR we're seeing a lot of yeah this is kind of and i Here's an example of something that you can do. You can set a timer and have the timer float above your pasta. They're like, okay, that's cool. But Apple was promising us AR. (laughs) I mean, Tim Cook went out on stage and said, augmented reality is a profound technology. And what we have is a new mixed reality headset. It's inside-out VR with some kind of video pass-through. And I don't see what it brings to the table for someone to make kind of an offhand remark that, oh, well, it's definitely better than a Quest. A Quest is a purpose-built mixed reality headset with a primary activity being gaming and a lot of secondary activities being uh, VR and work and other types of hand tracking. I I really want to pick up a Quest and try, they've got a a piano teaching app. And I just want to see how good it is. Uh, Jeff Kanata was actually really praising this a couple months back on uh, DLC, on the DLC podcast. But, you know, the Quest maps your hands and your fingers, and then you look down at a keyboard, and especially if you can plug in with MIDI, um, it then gives you, like, rock band style lines that line up with your keyboard so that you can learn how to play the piano. I really want that. That sounds really cool. And I can get that at a cost that is much, much lower than what the Apple Mixed Reality headset is going to sell for. You can't say a VR headset is better and then criticize all the things that make it different, like the EyeSight, and the emoji video FaceTime calling, where it turns into a weird Polar Express animation of your face. That that was a capability that Apple made a big deal about, but it doesn't work. You you don't want to use that. And it's contributing significantly to the cost of the headset. So all the things that are the Apple differentiators are kind of the worst aspects of this new mixed reality headset. And then you get these people that are like, oh, I just hate those bulky controllers that those other VR headsets make you use. But there's no gaming on, a, on, a, on an Apple headset. And what do they do as soon as they want to get work done? They pair it to a keyboard and mouse or a keyboard and trackpad. So yeah, you don't have bulky controllers that are Incredible, finely fine-tuned pointing and gaming devices that accomplish very precise interactions with the content that you interact with. You have specific hand gestures that need to be accomplished in a window of space. And then if you really want to be productive, you've got to pair other accessories with it like a keyboard and mouse. So my reactions to... The Vision Pro have been very... uh, My reactions to the Vision Pro reviews have been very sardonic. I, I, I feel like what we're seeing is a group of people that monetize Apple traffic significantly and have cozy relationships with Apple PR working right up to the line that they can manage to say, it's the promise of what's to come. It's the promise of the future. But these were the same people that have largely avoided the VR scene that don't spend a lot of time or any significant time looking at VR, VR gear, VR applications, VR games, but have been promising us an Apple AR revolution since the launch of Google Glass. And if we believe these people, these types of tech journalists and tech commentators, Apple has been working on AR for years before Google Glass was a thing. According to them, we have patents going back to like 2006. And Steve Jobs said, I want to make you know, a visor, I want to make video like headphones. Oh, I mean, even Steve Jobs knew the future was going to be AR and VR and all this really cool stuff. I, I mean, Apple, if anyone's going to do it right, Apple's going to do it right. Except Apple did exactly the same thing that every other VR headset has done, only they have nothing for you to do on it. So they haven't even brought any new, other than the things that are currently getting mocked by the reviewers who are the coziest with Apple. Someone's looking you in the eye and they see this weird animated version of your face through this cloudy plastic uh, lenticular lens faceplate. It doesn't look like you. It looks like a weird, creepy animation of you in fog. (laughs) It doesn't look like what they showed in their reveal, where it's just like pristine vision of your eyes poking through this headset. That's not what you get. Apple kind of misrepresented the performance of their product looking at these demos, so I, I, I'm not impressed. Four years ago, we saw the HoloLens 2. And the HoloLens 2 had open optics. So it's not a screen with pass-through cameras. It's these open optics. And you have a smaller field of view, but the AR works through what you're really seeing. It's like the light going through a lens. Well, what did the HoloLens 2 bring? All of this hand tracking... And like these pinch gestures, when you want to select something, you kind of pinch on it. And you had a better uh, sort of keyboard and typing experience. But really, you probably would want to connect a proper typing uh, mouse keyboard uh, setup to the the device. Four years ago, Apple can't give us good pass-through AR. It's a mixed reality headset. And a lot of their solutions are the same things that we've already seen from HoloLens. I don't see what's really new here. And I said that during the reveal and I had a whole bunch of techies, some of them are friends of mine, but have cozy relationships with Apple calling me out like, oh, but you don't even get to try it and you don't know what you're talking about and Apple's going to do this and I got to try it and it's totally different than HoloLens. Except that it's not. (laughs) Except that it's not. It's just higher fidelity in a wider field of view. So I, I I've been—it's been a curious spectator sport. And actually, let me see. I would imagine that now we're hitting the spike. So let's go to Google Trends. We're going to do this live. I'm take a drink of water. Sorry, I'm trying to mute when I have like biology happening. So if you caught a portion of that uh, throat nose clearing there, I do apologize. And let's look for Apple Mixed Reality Headset. We'll do a search for that. That's probably the broad term, right? So that's what I'm typing into uh, Google Trends. And I just want to see search interest. It should be spiking now. Like we should be seeing the most interest. Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do past week, not past day. Oh, whoops. Apologies if I just turned it on all of your um let's do uh past seven days. We don't need to do past thirty days. okay, so over the last week, we saw where was the peak February? Oh, according to Google Trends, we had an early peak uh, February third, and another peak last night, <laughs> as as we saw a lot of comment uh, content coming out, and it's already dropped significantly from there. Let me see the last thirty days, and let's see what we look like. Oh, we have not re reclaimed, so we're technically on an upswing. Getting to the end of January into the beginning of February, but that's already on a downtrend over the last seven days, and nothing has approached the January 19th peak for search interest on the Vision Pro. So, I don't get how this is going to be the next iPhone, the next platform, the next amazing thing that happens in the world of technology. It's the future that we're all going to be living in. Ready Player One ski goggles moving forward when we can't generate the same interest in this product once the product is out in people's hands. So it's not enough to say, oh, it's totally better than all these other headsets. You can't do anything on it. Your ability to sit and watch a movie is accomplished with a $300 pair of XR glasses. Will Apple's optics be better? Yeah. Will the resolution be much different? Not really. If you float the movie out in space in front of you, that's exactly what these XR glasses do well. They have a much smaller field of view, but they have a higher resolution in a smaller field of view than wrapping 4K displays all the way around your peripheral vision. How much resolution does your peripheral vision need? So those dots that occupy the sort of windowed view of a TV out in space in front of you is going to be pretty similar to just putting on some XR glasses at $300. That's what I mean. It's like, if it's just for this kind of passive floating window style entertainment, we have solutions that are open AR optics. They're not as fancy as the mixed reality pass-through, and they probably aren't going to fit all faces as consistently as what Apple can kind of fit for your face. But at one-tenth the cost... Actually, technically one twelfth the cost if you pick up like a first-gen uh, X-Real Air. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Right now, the Apple's mixed reality headset is a very sort of passive consumption kind of experience. And I hope it gets better. But, you know, if you really want a game, at some point, you're going to have to pair a controller with it. Or maybe a pair of controllers. Now, here, those are really bulky and cumbersome and hard to use. But they seem to do so much better when you want to do something more immersive and interactive with your headset. So, not great. Not great. The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal if you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video You've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds for the last couple years. My work buds have been almost exclusively from me audio excellent drivers Fantastic accessories and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at me audio for custom molded ear tips super comfy The MX line of pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options and they don't need to break the bank and the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling bluetooth earbuds Adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com. Shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at meaudio for hooking up the promo code now. Let's get on with the show. Oh, Henry, uh, Henry, kind of picking up what I'm putting down. Funny how some of the other reviewers knock other companies for future updates and promises, but Apple gets the benefit of the doubt. Well, Henry, it's just wise advice, right? You never want to buy on the promise of what's to come. No, no, no. That's the sage tech reviewer advice. Uh, I have to review the device as it was sent to me today. I couldn't possibly anticipate that a OnePlus on pre-release embargo software would not perform as well as a OnePlus that gets its first update. But I, I have to, I, it's my journalistic duty to tell you what the device was like right now in my hands, even though it totally won't be the experience you have because you'll have had an update. But I won't follow it up. <laughs> I won't cover the phone after it gets an update because uh, it's just not profitable enough for me. I mean, uh, there's just not enough interest in the phone to warrant that kind of follow-up. But all of these Vision Pro, I just said it for the first time. The Vision Pro uh, reviews. Your fallback is, oh, but, you know, it's just a first look. I mean, think, the first iPhone was so incomplete. This is a first look at what's to come. And it really hasn't moved the needle much. Like, obviously, it should be better than a HoloLens 2. The HoloLens 2 was over four years ago. But you can do more on a HoloLens 2 today. (laughs) <laughs> You'll do it slower at lower visual fidelity, even with a, sh- a smaller field of view, but you still have the pinch and it's real optical AR, not mixed reality. So, um, <laughs> that's, I, I, again, I went a little longer and a little crankier on that too, because I, I think this does show us there's an inequity in tech reviewing and tech journalism that focuses primarily on what is going to monetize what is more popular and that inevitably becomes the companies that have spent the most on marketing. Apple is a marketing genius brand and they're going to get outsized coverage and outsized attention. But if you're saying, Hey, this is an experience that I think people would be really interested in. They've missed out if they've waited. Yeah. A quest Two is not going to be anywhere near as visually impressive in terms of image fidelity as Apple's mixed reality headset. But it's got an incredible library of games and apps ready to go. And there's more you can do with it. And I, I don't know, I walked by my Target display. way, <laughs> I just want to point out, I, I've been getting into so many pissy arguments with Samsung nights. At my Target, there is this brand new pretty kiosk uh, showing off the iPhone 15 and titanium is is plastered across this poster. There are working demo phones for you to play with. No one buys phones at Target, but Apple knows tons of consumers are going to walk by this. This is signage. This is advertising in the store. And if we're going to promote our products, where I bet you they do sell a lot of cases and cables and accessories for iPhones, uh, we want a pretty presentation of the best that we have to offer right next to that Apple kiosk is a Samsung display featuring the brand new Galaxy S22. And on the display currently is a broken Tizen Galaxy watch. And that's it. There is a broken stand that used to have an S22, not an S22 Plus, not an S22 Ultra. That's the perception of Android in a wealthy affluent suburb and a target. And all of these nights are like, well, you can't blame Samsung. That's a target problem. And you're like, no, I've worked very closely with people that have done that kind of signage for Samsung and worked with Samsung PR to audit their partners in retail and make sure that store displays and carrier stores are up to date and appropriately stocked with consumer experiences. So no, after two years, because we're right now at the S24 and the Target is still showing off the S22, Samsung at some point should have been alerted to an audit that, by the way, we're paying Target for floor space and they're not updating their kiosk with our phones on the back end of that uh, the other end cap aside from that samsung is an oculus quest kiosk that is updated with quest 2 and quest 3 (laughs) it's like i can go into a target and buy a quest 2 for like 299 and go home and play some vr i can go to that target and see a busted Samsung watch and i can't buy the newest latest and greatest from Samsung tablets phones nada i think i can pick up an a52 i think that's what's on the the target store shelves right now so uh, <laughs> it's it's hilarious but all of these people that have said like well hold off or this is cheap or don't do business or wait until apple does it right if you want to play with some vr You've got some options if you want to play with some AR or just some really passive like XR entertainment, you know, like I just want to plug glasses into my Steam Deck and see a giant screen and you can play some real games on your Steam Deck, but with a better display than what's built into your Steam Deck, like 300 bucks, 300 bucks. What an incredible future that we live in, that image projection technology in a streamlined open air, not a sealed goggle can be uh, accomplished for 300 bucks, 300 bucks. And I don't walk around looking like I've got ready player one dystopian ski goggles stuck on my face. And yeah, they don't really look like sunglasses when you pay a little bit more attention to how they sit a little higher on my face, but you're walking by me on an airplane. You're not going to assume that I've got a humongous, Projector image out in space in front of me, and that you know, the Steam Deck in my lap as I'm totally kicked back and comfortable, and I'm just gaming and I'm not like rolled up in a ball. This is now a $300 experience. When I played with the first Nextwares, those glasses were eight, seven to eight hundred dollars, depending on region. This has evolved way faster than I thought it would. <laughs> And when I'm done, I just put them in a shirt pocket or in a coat pocket and I walk off the plane and everything's fine. I don't have to carry like, I can carry this as like a little container for them, but I don't even need to do that. I can just hang them on a shirt. I don't have to have like a flight case for them, like a Quest or uh, Apple's headset. So anyway, um, yeah, cake batter. I found it odd that none of the uh, Apple mixed reality headset reviewers uh, mentioned the big screen app on steam vr in quest 3 and that's what is very frustrating is making an open broad claim that these are definitely better than a quest apple's headset is definitely better than a quest it kind of speaks to the fact that these are people that really haven't kept abreast of what's going on in vr and if they have then they're being intellectually dishonest by saying things like well it's just better better fidelity sure And those optics, the way that it does sort of like foveated so that you're not really having to render all of the image out to your peripheral vision. Absolutely. That is cool tech. And I cannot wait to see those Sony micro OLEDs in another VR headset. I wanna see those Sony micro OLEDs in like XR face glasses. I'll pay $800, $900 for face glasses, open air, but with like 4K projected resolution. That's gonna be amazing. That's gonna be awesome. I can't wait to see Sony get the yield up. But to completely ignore how far we've come in mixed reality, just because Apple isn't doing anything interesting in that space yet. I mean, I mean, with software and developers and stuff like, oh, it launched with 600 apps. We didn't see any. I saw someone placing kitchen timers over boiling pasta. That was cool. I I mean, I have a smartwatch and I can run multiple timers on the phone. And I have a smart display, and I, I get it. It's cool that I can put one timer over one pot and another timer over another. But you're not, you're not selling me on the future of AR. <laughs> um, a DTNL, but they blend in relatively well. I had no use for one of those XR glasses, but as a tech enthusiast, for the sake of science, I must buy one. And it's a good time to also look at like the last gen. XR headsets. I like what Xreal is doing with the Air 2 and the Air 2 Pro, but the fact that you can pick up the original x Xreal Air for 299 is pretty stonking great. I would probably put Xreal above Rokid for their older headsets. Um, I also do have the Rokid Air, and they do have those little diopter adjustments, but I. Feel the image quality and the speaker quality on the X reels will probably do you better. And same thing, the older TCLs, um they're not as cheap as the X Reel airs. Oh, come on, I gotta reach. But um they're also a really solid option. I want to say these are more like 350. Someone please correct me on that. Um, But these are the older TCLs. So they also have a minor refresh uh, for higher uh, frame rate. Um, But the same, it's like you can kind of look like a goob if you just want the optics to be completely open. I don't think this looks great, but this is a very clear, um, transparent way to kind of look through. And then if I want to make them a little darker, I've got magnetic clip-ons. And again, when you scrutinize them, you can see these are not regular sunglasses, but they are so much more discreet just in kind of passing, um, passing, uh, walking past other people, other, those kinds of momentary, uh, experiences. All right. I, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop being all cranky here. Um, oh, Muppinish. Yeah. The X-Real speakers are, are pretty great. I was surprised. Um, yeah. The uh, TCLs and the X-Reels are really good. The, the Rokid Airs, the first Rokids, not super great for audio either. <laughs> Geet Madden, reviewers wearing them for grocery shopping. They are trying to find problems for the solutions Apple shows in their marketing products. The only reason I'm laughing about that is in my video where I talk about 10 years of Apple hype. Um, let me see if I can pull this up on YouTube. Um, let me just literally type in hype. So uh, this this video here, uh, if YouTube decides that it wants to load, <laughs> come on, YouTube, you can do it. Give me a thumbnail, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 10 years of out-of-control hype, Apple tech journalism, uh, and a decade of of out-of-control hype. One of the things that I I point to in this video came shortly after the release of Google Glass, and it's someone who's making a mock-up on what Apple eyeglass would look like, and one of the things that they put in there is object recognition. They were assuming that in the next year or two, Apple would come out with sleek glasses, like Google Glass, and that as you're walking around, you could do things like scan produce at the grocery store. And they did this really cute little mock-up, and it's so Photoshop basic. But it's a photo of a produce stand with a gray box with plain white text. I think it was like Times New Roman, and a gray arrow pointing to a watermelon, and it says watermelon and a price on it. That's the kind of hype we have just been casually delivering. Apple is going to rock our socks. Apple is going to change AR. So I was just laughing. You're like, we've now finally gotten to some kind of headset that you can wear around a grocery store. And I bet you it still can't do what Apple aficionados were claiming would happen 10 years ago. (laughs) on an Apple headset. But again, they were promising a Google glass style headset that would be capable of recognizing that's a watermelon. And in this store, a watermelon will cost this much. (laughs) That's not a thing. (laughs) Apple's mixed reality headset. Can't do that. All right. Sorry. I got sidetracked one more time. We are done talking about Apple. Um, let me take one more drink of water, and we can run just a little bit long here because I would like to uh, I would like to talk about OnePlus Twelve R. I know I kind of buried that when we shifted out of the news block here, but one more drink of water, and we'll 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 catch up. Oh, JGJ, wait! People are not getting beat up for a facial computer. I would like to coin the phrase "glass hole Pro Max." Because if Google glass wearers were glass holes, then I feel people running around and doing crazy things and gesturing at crosswalks, which have nothing to do with using Apple's headset, they're just doing it for attention, are glass hole Pro Maxes. So you have the glass hole, and then you have the glass hole Pro, and then you have the glass hole Pro Max. And that's reserved for the people that are just trying to be social media popular and they have no interest in really talking or, or contributing to the conversation about VR. And just like we saw articles on Google Glass, there's no way to know what they're doing with those cameras. Right? We were real concerned about those glass holes, those nefarious Google users. They're probably perverts taking photos of you with their Google Glass. Just like the glass holes. <laughs> I don't think Apple has solved the attention-seeking glass hole problem. So, we have the OnePlus 12R. Uh, I was so happy to get a press release emailed to me this morning where OnePlus themselves are now talking about the return of the flagship killer. That's the language that I used in my review of the OnePlus 12R. And there's something kind of fun. So I think over the last two years from uh, really from sort of the middle of 2022 to the end of 2023, I would get communication from representatives of tech manufacturers. And there was this very beat down attitude in tech Sales of phones and laptops and tablets had plummeted. We didn't know where the bottom was. People had overbought tech during the pandemic. And now there was just this idea that like people would just keep buying tech and line would keep going up. And I would get like, I don't want to speak to any proprietary communication, but like the conversations we were having at the end of the OnePlus 10 Pro and kind of the casualness of the OnePlus 11, it seemed like the PR side of this, even they weren't able to really push some excitement or push some hype. And then the OnePlus Open showed up and I got communication from OnePlus uh, PR that was lit up. They were excited about what they were going to show us on the OnePlus Open and as soon as we were kind of into covering it, when we, when we, we wrapped up the embargo and we got our OnePlus open reviews out there, I immediately started getting conversations about the OnePlus 12. And OnePlus 12 has been discussed for a pretty long period of time <laughs> behind the scenes, like these, 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 uh, behind the scenes conversations that we have with manufacturers and their PR. That is a very different flavor the conversation that I had with Vivo during the X90 was like, oh yeah, we're really, this is going to be exciting. We think people really like it. Conversation for the X100 Pro, we think we've built the best phone of last year and next year. PR doesn't come out swinging like that. (laughs) Vivo came out like, no, we crushed it. This is awesome. OnePlus no, we're undercutting Samsung and Apple and we think we've got a much better solution for the price. And now OnePlus themselves are coming out and saying it's the return of the flagship killer. We do not get a lot of options like this in North America. I felt the Pixel 6a was a pretty good representation of what an American flagship killer phone could be. The Pixel 5a was a much better mid-ranger for battery life. If you had more modest needs, if you just really wanted two days of runtime under pretty consistent use, the Pixel 5a did that. Pixel 6a came out with a Tensor and it was a much higher performing but lower battery life phone. That's a flagship killer. It has the same flagship chip. It has a couple build and camera compromises. It kills the flagship for performance. And that's what OnePlus is accomplishing with the 12R. Apple and Samsung do not have proper competitors for what OnePlus is doing at each of their price tiers. So you've got OnePlus 12R, you've got 11, you've got 12, and you've got Open. And in the United States, each one of those tiers punches so hard above its price tag. The OnePlus Open is just, an incredible foldable. It has a few compromises. People can point to those compromises, but it also undercuts the price of the Z fold and the pixel fold. So that's a balance. The OnePlus 12 doesn't really have any compromises against an S24 Plus, but it radically undercuts the price. And now, the 12R does join some of those conversations about like camera sensors and oh, there are a few things that I wish this phone had, or wireless charging. But it's doing battle against Samsung's A54 and Apple's iPhone SE. There is no world where this phone loses any fight against an iPhone SE. The iPhone SE is such a terrible phone to sell at almost $500. There is such a huge gap in Apple and Samsung's strategy and and it's like OnePlus is just leaning on that as a pain point. They're just digging right exactly in the pressure point where Samsung and Apple do not have solutions. So um I have the full video out. I have the full review out. And if there are any questions, we can definitely kind of chat out. Or if there's anything else that we maybe missed in the news lineup or something that you want to cover. Um, I also do have a couple thoughts on the OnePlus Buds 3. Um, I I need one more drink of water. I'm just, I'm getting real fuzzy here right at the end. Um, But yeah, if there are questions, comments, or concerns, uh, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Geet Madden Uh, I'm going to try and find a good voice for Uh, this Excuse me sir iPhone SE has iMessage So you just talk to me when OnePlus Has that (laughs) I feel like that's the That's the reply you would get from someone who Wears blue bubbles as like The defining aspect of their personality (laughs) I've defined My life by whether or not Someone sees my text message Show up as a blue bubble (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's real bad. You have to go down to an iPhone 13 and Apple still mostly loses in performance, in battery life, in charging tech, in screen tech, the main camera sensor. You, You just can't keep up. OnePlus has delivered something that is just a brutally competitive point and Apple cannot keep up. An A15 versus a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, that's not a good fight for Apple. To be playing out now with a phone that still has a lightning connector and is two years into its support life cycle, and here's a f- I mean, full MSRP, $499, but it's really easy. I got two comments from people who pre-ordered the iPhone 12R, and I think the lowest I've seen so far was someone sending in a busted phone, and they were still getting the phone for like 350 dollars $350 for a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 and one of the brighter phone displays. I, that's a real good buy. I know there are some other compromises that we need to talk about on a flagship killer, but just dollars to donuts. I can't beat that. <laughs> 350 bucks. So it's uh, it's pretty tough. Oh, JGJ, I'm dreading the day Apple gets rid of Touch ID from the next SE model. I wonder what they're going to do. I think it's going to end up being a recycling of the frame for the iPhone 13, the smaller version of the iPhone 13. And then we'll see an update to whatever. I mean, let's say it happens this year. Let's say we see an iPhone 16 and an iPhone 16 Pro that use a different design language. It doesn't even have to be a radical change, but like we've got dynamic islands. We maybe see some kind of form factor or characteristic change, but it's USB-C across the board. No SIM card tray in the United States. And then in 2025, in the first half of 2025, we see the iPhone 13 frame show up as the iPhone SE Gen, what is this? So iPhone SE, SE 2020. So it would be the iPhone SE Gen 4. Do I have that right? Is it Gen 4 or Gen 5? Anyway, I think it's gonna end up being the iPhone 13 form factor. So I, I feel like that's probably gonna end up being their market. Um, from Malik, with the OnePlus 12R outside of the cameras, is it a good upgrade to the 9 Pro? Um, for the screen, the, the brightness on this, I know a lot of people are making fun of, oh, 4,500 nit display. Yeah. Right. One plus. And I guarantee you it peaks at 4,500 nits for like a fraction of a second. It is capable. I don't think that's really the hook when you get it outside. This is the brightest display I currently have in operation. And I really want to see some good comparisons. I, I bet you The S24 Ultra has a clearer screen to read in bright sunlight, but I bet you the OnePlus 12 mercs the S24 Plus because the S24 Plus is not using the fancy new glass that the S24 Ultra has. So, okay, OnePlus 9 Pro, you're definitely getting a better screen. You're getting a comparable main camera. But the OnePlus 9 Pro can do 8K and can also do 4K 120. So yeah, the cameras are definitely a win for the OnePlus 9 Pro. Um, the OnePlus 9 Pro also has video out through the USB-C port. So if you have like power user needs or you need to plug into another display or XR glasses, the OnePlus 9 Pro is gonna be better. But the performance, significantly uh, better for the OnePlus 12R and the battery life and charging. Incredible upgrades over the OnePlus Nine Pro. So if you're not hitting the cameras a lot and you don't need video out through the USB-C, then yes, there is a good twelve uh, going from a OnePlus Nine Pro to a Twelve R. That is actually a pretty good transition um, as a daily driver, hot rod, high performance phone. Um, I, I would make that play, but that is with a few those caveats. It is less power user and it is less camera user. But it's a really good pocket computer. And it's an incredible accomplishment for the price. Uh, Geek Madden. I would say the 13 mini is a good device. But 60 hertz, smaller screen, lightning. and But then you have the benefits of iOS with shortcuts and airdrop. I don't know that airdrop is that big a draw. <laughs> Again, it's like you can only use it with iPhones. I have nearby share now quick share on my windows pc and on my chromebook and if i can't fall back on quick share i can still send files over bluetooth and wi-fi direct so i've never really felt like again it's that's a consumer lock-in if you're on ios and you only talk to other people on ios then cool but if i take a cool photo of you and i want to send it directly to you iphone can't receive it iphone is broken Um, So that's uh, that's pretty rough. From KMK0, have you tried any desktop mode shenanigans with the 12R? I've tried, but it doesn't support video out through the USB-C. So I can't do the traditional plug it into a a portable monitor or a laptop dock. dock. Um, But there is, now when you plug it into like a PC, OnePlus is trying to do more like uh, data and screen sharing. So that's something I want to show off in just a separate feature video. It's going to be a little bit more focused on the OnePlus 12 because the 12 does have video out because I want to show, you can plug it into a monitor. What does that look like? The desktop mode is still effing broken in Android 13. Um, But there there are other ways that you can kind of expand on that. I'll maybe touch on OnePlus 11 and OnePlus 12R, but the focus is going to be on OnePlus 12. (laughs) Jeff Murr, I've had an iPhone for the past six years and I have never used AirDrop. Um, I'm trying to get my wife to do that a little bit more. She's, I mean, again, we're Android folks. So we were just used to, hey, I need to send you this. Can you upload it to the NAS or can you send me an email? We would just do that. Um, but now, now that she's on a Pixel 8 and she was on the Sony, I've been trying a little bit more like, Hey, we're out at the park. And I just took this really cute photo of Lex. Can you send it to me? Yeah. Let me email it. No, no, no. Share it. Okay. Okay. I just got it. Great. (laughs) We've been doing that a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I miss beam. I really miss Android beam. I wish we had built nearby share and now quick share on the old Beam interaction. Because like you you get to the file, you say, I want to share this file. And then you scan for devices or you tap and share. But it used to be I could just pull up a photo, tap two phones together, and it would share it. It was so much faster. That experience was so abbreviated. But the Apple version of this, where it's kind of scanning and looking for other devices and you can share to multiple people... Yeah, it's cool, I guess, but most of what I use those kinds of services for are one-on-one. When it's something like, you know, my daughter just started uh, Softball. She's really excited about it. If I want to send anything, everything to a group of people, I'm going to set up some kind of cloud folder and invite people to upload photos to that cloud folder so we have them all, right? We have like a little archive of how the season goes. That's what I'm actually going to prefer, I'm not going to, Oh, I took this great photo. Who wants it? Okay. Everybody circle around and let's do an airdrop so that everybody can get this photo. Isn't how olds like me interact with this kind of technology. So I, I really do miss the, the Android tap in chair, tap in pair kind of, uh, kind of solution. So, Geek Madden, isn't OnePlus getting all the Samsung Samsung features through Phone Link app? I thought you could mirror your screen and run your apps from your phone on your PC. Stay tuned. That's what I'm going to be talking about. (laughs) It's not exactly the same. And again, if you're talking about productivity, a a Galaxy Note is going to be the crown jewel productivity option with S Pen and Dex. I don't think that's controversial. But to stick with Samsung and if you're not using those features means you're crazy overbuying some more accessible tech. I think OnePlus is showing us you can get a very comparable experience for a lot less. And in many ways, the OnePlus 12 is a better phone than the Galaxy S24 or 24+. But if someone says, like, hey, I really want to replace my laptop with a phone, I'm looking at mobile work and productivity, I really want to be able to, like, edit documents and spreadsheets and work on PowerPoint presentations and sketch, it's S Pen. S Pen all day, every day. That's easy. But that's not very many people, (laughs) So, uh, JGJ, how are your adventures going on Linux? Unfortunately, I hit a brick wall. I was trying to build a Linux machine to take over for my Plex uh, duties, and I really wanted to use it as an image server. But the way that Linux handles um, drive mapping is insanely frustrating. So I've now gone through three different Linux distros, trying to find a solution to map my network drives on Windows, Windows is really bad at being a headless server. I'm constantly having to wake up that server if it goes inactive for too long. It doesn't matter what I do to the hibernation settings. Something will happen. I'll have to walk upstairs and I'll have to push the power button. And then the server starts working again. But um, one of the things that Windows really does well is... I can tell Windows File Explorer, go look for my network drives. And it says, okay, I found this network drive. And then I right-click on the network drive and I say, map that drive. And it goes, okay, cool. What drive letter do you want to give it? And I say, P for Plex. And Windows goes, cool, fam, I got you. And then Plex goes, where do you want to find your media? And I go, look at drive letter P for Plex. And Plex goes, cool, fam, I got you. And then all of the content on my NAS is in my Plex server. That doesn't happen at all in Linux. (laughs) Linux, you've got to like, okay, well, if I map this drive and then I reboot my computer, I need to remap it. But if I go through this obscure document for editing a system file, I can point Plex to look at something, but I've got to save it in a folder. But if the folder changes or if this drive changes, then Plex won't know what to look for. And then I can say, oh, if you save this and then you scan my network, you can find a drive, but it doesn't live as a network drive. Then I've got to be able to find this. And then the Plex app is just, no, I don't know. I don't see anything. So I I, I hit a wall. (laughs) What I might try to do, to the chagrin of Linux folks out there, I might try to do all of this in Ubuntu running through the Linux subsystem for Windows 11. So in Windows 11, I will say, here is my network drive. It is drive letter P. Then in the Windows subsystem for Linux, I will open up Linux and say, run image, and connected to my PC is drive letter P, and look for it there. (laughs) And then maybe I can have the best of both worlds, but it won't really be a Linux headless server, it'll be a Windows headless server running a virtual machine of Linux. It's, It's a lot. I love dabbling, though, getting back into the Linux scene. Chromebooks got me back in. Now I've been playing with a little bit more emulation on Android and now working these little mini PCs. If you don't have the kind of networked solutions that I'm playing with right now, I would highly recommend buying a mini PC, scrubbing Windows off of it, and then running a a mini file server directly from that box. But the more you start getting into different NAS solutions, different network uh, solutions and having sort of like a server that lives separate from the storage, Linux is a lot more complicated to get up and running. Sorry, uh, that, I, I've been working on it, but I have not come to a solution yet. Oh, So Jeff Merv, this is exactly the problem that I'm trying to avoid though. So Jeff Murr says, I'm one of the olds and I share my photos at a distance by just texting them or using Telegram now, whatever it is I want to share. So the problem is I'm on an Android and someone else is on an iPhone. They're going to get a text of an image that looks like hot garbage. And it's been a real issue trying to get every single group of parents on some kind of alternative messaging platform because most of them are iPhone users. The Android users totally get it. You want to be on Telegram, you want to be on Signal, you want to be on WhatsApp. Sure, th- that's a problem. We're all on different messengers. But yeah, that's great. We, we know why there are these other capabilities and these other services that you want. It is literally that direction. Trying to send a photo to an iPhone when you don't have an iPhone is flipping miserable and there is no solution except sending it up to the cloud and having them download it because iPhones are proper broken and they can't support real standards like file transfer over Wi-Fi direct Bluetooth file transfer, or Apple still hasn't implemented things like RCS where I could text you a photo that would look better. Um, We did a Dia de los Muertos celebration at my daughter's school. A couple of the moms all have iPhone pros ask me to take their photos. And we're in these like dark, the the, the kids did an an amazing job like decorating. And it was just a really, really lovely event. They had mariachis playing out in the schoolyard. It was great. I shot a little video of it uh, on the Patreon. You can actually see the video that I stitched together. So I had the mariachis just for an entire song um, as the, the sort of bass track. And then I would just put in, you know, like B roll on top of it, like looking at the papales picados and looking at uh, all of the, uh, the marigolds. So uh, we walk over, there's this one little, um, station that they wanted to get a, get a photo of in front of all of these displays that the kids had done. And we we'll walk over there and they are like, okay, cool. Do you want me to take the photo with your phone? And both of the moms turned to me like, no, we want you to use your phone. <laughs> You're like, okay, cool. So I pull out a Pixel 8 and I take their photos and they're like, oh, wow, that's so nice. And you're like, I have no way to give you this photo, but I can email you, I guess. And they are like, okay, yeah, cool. That's great. Thanks. Bye. And so like, it's already a known entity in our little circle of parents. Like if you want someone to take your photo, don't hand Juan your iPhone, let Juan take your photo with his phone and it's going to look better. <laughs> but I can't give you the photo after I've taken it. So it's um, it's pretty great. Um, JGJ, I think that many complaints about QNAP and Linux compatibility. I think there might be some communities that can help out. I'll see if there's someone who has any knowledge. I, I mean, I've been digging too. I, I wouldn't burn any time on this, JGJ. It really is not a function of QNAP. QNAP can show up as an SMB share. It can show up as a, I forget what the other, NT something. It, it it's it is a problem in Linux. If you're trying to permanently map a network drive to a Linux computer, you need to go hoop jumping. There is no easy solution to connecting network storage to a Linux PC. It does not exist. So as soon as you go into text files, g e gedit, and like start altering uh, configurations. That is fundamentally different than right-click map drive in Windows. So uh, don't... I mean, if you find something great, but chances are pretty good, you'll find the same resources that I've already been digging through to try and find a solution to this. (laughs) Dave Burns. If Apple let us share images directly, they'd have to make better cameras. So I'm actually planning. Um, I really like the podcast, the Petapixel podcast. But the editor at Petapixel is super into Apple. Like they can be talking about like, yeah, I was editing this project and blah, 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 blah. And the editor in the middle of the podcast will be like, MacBooks are so much quieter than Windows laptops. Am I right? And the other two hosts will be like, yeah, but I mean, we're talking about Da Vinci. And then he'll be like, but Gundam high five. And then they get on with the show. Like they all kind of roll their eyes and like, yeah, yeah, you get it. You like Apple. So they just did a podcast, uh, t- last week, they did a podcast titled, I think it's something like, uh, Are Smartphone Cameras Good Enough to Upgrade? And I want to point out to them, they did not make this podcast after the launch of the iPhone 15, they made this podcast after the launch of the Galaxy S24. And they're talking about, well, I mean, like, you know, we, when we talk about cameras, we really talk about like sensors and optics and blah, 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 blah. And they make no mention of sensors or optics. And they one point, the one point they do make about sensors and optics is the Apple fan pointing out, well, and now their, their telephoto camera is a 5x zoom instead of a 10x zoom. And you're like, and it's, and it's better. Point out that it's better. It's better in low light. It's better in mixed lighting conditions. It's a better sensor. Oh, they're not going to talk about that at all. And they kind of go on this, like, I don't even know what's on device AI and what's cloud AI. And you're like, you're not talking about smartphone cameras at all until they get to the end of their little conversation about smartphones. And they're like, and why is video recording on Android so terrible? You're like, oh, you're just going to do that thing where you talk about, like, frame rate drift on the Pixel 8 and you're going to paint that as the whole conversation about Android video And you're going to praise that apple now has like prolog but you're going to ignore that apple has never let you control exposure on an iphone ever until we got prolog so if i shoot in log and i edit in post i can finally lock my exposure i don't have dynamic tone mapping which screws your frame up so much if lighting conditions kind of move through what you're shooting but we're going to we're going to be upset that an android and the pixel is one of the poorer premium tier video performers it's good but i would say other phones do this better and you're going to complain that your frame rate will drift from like 2397 to 2410 oh it's just impossible to work with if i'm shooting 24 frames per second and i'm getting like a you know, a 10th of a frame drift as I'm shooting. I just can't even sync audio to that. So this entire time that I've been recording this podcast, I have my Pixel 8 Pro over here. I don't know if it was able to survive. <laughs> I think it might've cut off. Um, but we'll see, because I recorded that video and I'm going to pull the audio directly from my mic and we're going to see how much does the frame rate drift. Will it prevent me from syncing audio in post? Because it's such a big deal. You can't shoot video on an Android. It's just so bad at that variable frame rate. It's just the worst. So it will probably be some kind of response or reaction to that, that podcast. Because I really like um, uh, uh, Chris and the hosts that were on DP Review. Chris and... I'm forgetting their names. This is driving me crazy. Chris, ah, Petapixel. Uh, dang it. I'm just gonna have to look it up. Petapixel podcast, the triple P Chris. And who is the other guy on the podcast? Cause they were on DP review and, uh, they were before that. I used to watch their stuff from the camera store. Um, and I can't remember the other hosts name now, and this is going to drive me crazy. And it doesn't, they don't say it at all on, the, on, the, on, the, on their podcast page. Anyway, not important. Petapixel Podcast is where they are now. <laughs> they were on DP Review. They were on the camera store before that. I really like their dynamic in reviewing cameras. But they do fall into that trap that camera snobs consistently fall into where they do not take mobile cameras seriously. And they don't have any education when it comes to the differences between Samsung and Xiaomi or what a Sony might be able to do in this too. If you're really concerned about frame rate drift, you should be shooting on a Sony with proper manual controls and some of the most consistent uh, frame rates that I've ever seen, even when you're up to 4K at 120 frames per second. It's just rock solid because it's a Sony. So if that kind of stuff really matters to you, there is a solution. But you never hear camera guys talk about this because, well, I mean, obviously iPhone's going to be the best. And it's really not. So anyway, um, lots of stuff coming to the channel. Uh, I had teased that we'd maybe talk about the OnePlus Buds, but my voice is actively failing, and we've gone a full half hour over what I was supposed to be doing on the show. So OnePlus Buds 3, I'm going to have a video out either tomorrow or the day after, Tuesday or Wednesday. We can talk about OnePlus's earbuds, which is, again, it's another great shot in the arm for not just OnePlus in terms of their phone tech, but also their accessories, very competitive against other options near this price. Um, pretty, pretty good competition against buds that uh, cost a little bit more. So, um, we've we have that coming out. Um, I've got some laptop coverage. It's going to be coming out. I've got some mini PC coverage. that's going to be coming out. I've got replies to podcasts that need to be shot and edited. And, uh, it's just a, there's going to be some really cool stuff coming to the channel I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh this is a really good collection of gear right now and uh we're, we still haven't even made it to mwc yet it's blowing my mind that we're probably going to be in line for some announcements some really big deal announcements from like xiaomi over the next couple of weeks <laughs> i uh I'm really stoked. This is going to be really cool. So, folks, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. This was a really fun kind of ranty podcast to get through, so I'm, I'm glad we, uh, we took this time. Um, yeah, have a great week. I'm going to go rest my voice, drink some water and some hot tea. So uh, I want you to do awesome with your technology. I want you to be awesome with your technology. Stay tuned for all of our fellow content creator pals, because they're going to have a lot to say about some cool tech over these next couple days too. And uh, I'll catch you back here next week for another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Take care of yourself so you can keep taking care of others. And I'll catch you back. I love you all. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs, is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration and i even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills all with some helpful example photos and diagrams search for take better photos smartphone photography for noobs on amazon or use the quick link bit.ly/betterphotosbook to grab your copy today